Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Now, we've been studying, hearing from the Lord. Last week, we looked at some scripture in Matthew chapter 3 and 4 about the attack of the enemy upon your obedience. You must understand in your life as you obey God, that doesn't mean God's going to cocoon you and nothing wrong or nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. As a matter of fact, it's in your obedience many times that some of the greatest attacks of life come against you. It's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Word of God. Look what happened to Jesus in His greatest act of obedience. Soon as He said, Thy would not my will, but thine be done, they came and hung Him on a cross. But thank God He rose from the dead, and today He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So the good news is, even if you are attacked in your obedience, if you'll stay with it, not back off and not quit, God's got something on the other side of that that'll blow your mind. Now, here in Proverbs chapter 18... Let's go there to verse, uh, go to verse 20. Well, let's read it together with verse 21. Many times we just look at verse 21. Let's read these two together. It says, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. That's not speaking about your physical belly. It's talking about your spirit. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Now notice this, this next scripture. Death and life, everybody say death and life, are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Let me read the two scriptures again in the Amplified. It says, A man's moral self shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth, and with the consequence of his words he must be satisfied, whether good or evil. Then it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I've always found this amazing. It doesn't put the word power on death or life. You notice that? It puts the power on the tongue. So I don't think we realize many times how powerful our words are. Powerful to either bless or curse us. Amen. I mean, you got to have to understand, you are a sum total of everything you've ever believed in your heart and said with your mouth. That has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with humanity. That's the way God made the human family. And a lot of people look at their life and say, man, my life is such a wreck, it's such a mess. Well, it's because of what you're believing and what you're saying. So if you can change what you're believing and what you're saying, your life will change. A lot of people have, you know, they try to, what do you call it, reinvent themselves or, you know, have these uh, life makeovers. But the best way to start making your life over is to change your words into words of faith, into words of grace, into words of mercy, into words of blessing, and I guarantee you it'll help you. Amen. Then, then back in King James, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Everybody say, the fruit thereof. Now, since we're there in Proverbs, go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. You find it here. Now look at verse 27. It says the spirit of man, we could say it like this, the spirit of mankind or the spirit of a man or a woman, is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts, there's that word again, of the belly or of the spirit. Now since we're talking about how God communicates, we must understand according to John chapter 4, the Bible says that God is a spirit. Now I I like that because it doesn't say God is spirit. It says God is a spirit, meaning a specific entity. 
You know, a lot of people think, well, God is spirit. He's in the trees. He's in the birds. He's in a baby's smile. He's in a sunrise. He's, oh, that sounds real, you know, religious, but it doesn't have any scriptural value. God is a spirit just like we are a spirit ourselves. He is an individual being. You say, what kind of being is he? He is a divine being. And what's unique about God, he has a way of expressing himself in three separate and unique entities. God the Father, God the Son, or what we call God the Word, and God the Holy Ghost. Amen? But then it says here that the Spirit of Man, everybody say the Spirit of Man. Now, that's what makes us unique upon this planet is that we are spirit beings. Amen? That makes you different from a speckled trout or a, or a mockingbird or anything else. They're not. They're dualistic. They have a, have a soul. Uh, they have a physical body, but they're not spirit. You are a spirit. Just like God is a spirit, you are a spirit. So if God's going to communicate to you, He's going to communicate to you spirit to spirit. Amen. Now, even when you're not saved, if you're not even a believer, you're not even a Christian, there's something that people call their conscience. You ever heard that word before? My conscience. My conscience bothered me or, you know, I, I overrode my conscience to do that. Well, you actually, you're talking about your human spirit is what you're talking about. And what's amazing about your, your, your conscience is even though you can educate your mind uh, until you have, you know, great knowledge, your, your, your human spirit or your conscience still knows a whole lot more than your mind will ever know. You say, why is that? Because it is your spirit that's made in the likeness and image of God. But it's also your spirit man that is separated from God through original sin or the sin that took place in the garden. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. And being born again is not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. Amen. So if God communicates to us in our spirit, then it behooves us to develop our spirits. And if we'll learn to develop our spirit, then I guarantee you God will be able to communicate it to us in a, in, a, in a greater and greater measure and in a better and better way. Now, with that in mind, go over to the book of 2 Timothy. I'm going to believe God to weave a few of these scriptures together so you can get something from the Word tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me get over there. Chapter 3 verse 16. It says all Scripture, everybody say Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That, now that, you can just stop right there and shout. You say, why? Well, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That means it's profitable. You say, well, what does that mean? That means it profits you. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. Now let me read it in the Amplified. Every scripture is God-breathed. Now what God breathes is life. What life is, is spirit. That word, uh, all scripture is given by inspiration. That's the word ruah, or the word, we get, uh, the, the word that we get the word spirit from. So we have in this book spirit words. Now let me say that again. It's really pretty simple. We have in this book spirit words. Now there are two things that God has designed to help you communicate with Him, to help you hear from them, and to help Him impart to you what you need to make it in this world. 
You say, well, what does he want to impart to me? He wants to give you revelation. He wants to give you faith. He wants to empower you to obey. He wants to lead you by his spirit. There is a whole bunch of things he wants to do for you so that you can live as what he wants you to live, which is an overcomer here on this earth. I ought to get a better amen than that. Now notice what it says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. So all four of these things are needed in your life. Everybody needs doctrine. You say, what is doctrine? It's what you believe. What you believe according to the Word of God. Not what you believe because of what the preacher says. Not what you believe because of what your church says. Not what you believe because of what the guy on TV says, but it's what you believe because of what the Word says. Amen? Everybody needs good doctrine. I like good doctrine. You say, what is good doctrine? Doctrine you can prove works. Doctrine of salvation. Doctrine of baptism in the Holy Ghost. Doctrine of healing. Doctrine of prosperity. Doctrine of eternal life. Doctrine of heaven. Doctrine of angels. Oh, I could go on and on and on. There's some good, profitable doctrines out there. Amen? And a lot of people are satisfied only to feed on the doctrine of the Word of God. But you know, it's kind of like this is the balanced diet for the believer to allow the believer to develop his spirit to hear from God. Because every time God speaks to you, it may not be He's speaking to you on a doctrinal level. Now notice this. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be fun. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, proper doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. For reproof. Two or three grunts. You say, what is reproof? Reproof is when God says, you're wrong and I'm right. It's when you're being reproved. Now, now there, there's another one down here. We won't, before I jump ahead, it says uh, for correction. You say, what's the difference? Correct, correction, the, the, the word correction here is almost like a, a, a traveling term. When you're, when you're going down the road and you need to make a turn, you need to make, that's what that's about. But reproof is actually God saying, I'm right, you're wrong. Submit to me. Amen. Now, when you get into teaching and the Spirit of God begins to reprove people, it causes all kinds of different reactions. I've seen it for years. I'm telling you, people, people either receive reproof or they'll get all mad at you. First thing people think, he's preaching at me. He's preaching at me. He's talking to me. He knows about me. He's talking to me. Well, listen, let me just say this. When I get up here and open my mouth, my brain somehow disconnects from my mind. You don't want to hear what my mind has to say. Neither does the gift of God abide in my mind. Did you get that? You say, what do you mean by that? God set me in an office years ago. Back in 19, this would have been 1990, he set me in the office of a teacher. Then 17 years ago, he set me in the office of a pastor. So I'm literally a teacher and pastor. Amen? So every service, listen, I never step in this pulpit to where I hadn't been praying at least an hour in the Holy Ghost. At least an hour in the Spirit. And so when I step into the pulpit... I've learned over the years how to, how to take the gear and shift it into the spirit realm. Because I don't know what God's going to say. I don't know. You don't say, I don't see, a, you know, I, every once in a while I'll bring a book in here or something and try to read definitions and things. And usually I, usually I stumble around and mumble around. But when I start teaching, that's God speaking to you. 
That's a gift from God. That has nothing to do with me. That has to do with God speaking to you. And when He comes on the reproof level, many times people take it so personal that they think that through my mind I know something about them so I'm dredging it up to embarrass them. Amen? Well, I don't know you. And I don't know what's going on with you. But if the Holy Ghost is trying to reprove you, you need to receive reproof. Because if you do not receive reproof, then there's only one level of this working, and that's doctrine. And let me say something about that. You think your doctrine is so right, but if you can't be reproved, how can God change your doctrine? How many of you had a doctrine change since you come to Island Church? (laughs) Amen. Well, God wants to change your doctrine. How does He do it? He reproves you. There's people out there believe all kind of crazy stuff. I mean, I'm talking about Christian people. They believe all kind of crazy stuff. You say, well, what makes you think you're any different? Well, we do our best to stick with the letter of the Word of God. Has God said that? Is that in the Word of God? Does God confirm that? The Bible says, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. So everything we teach and preach, we prove. You know, we've proved salvation works. We've seen some of the worst people, some of us being those people, get born again and their lives radically change. We've proved there's such a thing as the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And we've proved it is a powerful gift from God. We've proved that the laying on of hands for healing works. We've proved that prosperity works and joy and right, all these different things. We've proved these things out over the years. Therefore, we have an ability to communicate them out to you. So let God reprove you when, when, you, when you need reproof. The Bible talks about the Word of God over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 being a mirror. A lot of people get mad at the mirror and the nail it's hanging on. You say, what do you mean the nail it's hanging on? That's the preacher, amen? So it's given for doctrine, reproof, correction. Now this is when God speaks to you about a turn. Everybody say a turn. Many times it's the Spirit of God working in tandem with the Word of God that will bring correction into your life. Many times correction is trying to keep you out of something that you're fixing to get yourself into. I mean, there'll be times, many times, when you'll come to church and you'll hear something, and then you'll come back and you'll hear the same thing, and you'll come back and you'll hear the same thing again, and you'll come back and he say, man, I've been to church five times, and that guy's preached on five different things, but I keep hearing the same thing over and over and over. God's trying to correct you. Amen. He's trying to keep you from driving off the seawall, spiritually. Amen. That's not a good place to drive off of. He's trying to help you and keep you from getting yourself in trouble. Correct your path. Amen. Then instruction in righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Now righteousness is in righteous living, but we're also talking about communication. So let's, let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll take this for just a few moments and kind of explore this for a minute. I believe it'll help you. Now, I haven't really dove into all of the major ways that God speaks except for two. That, that, uh, Bearing of witness, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, Romans chapter 8. And then the communication of the Word of God to us. Now we can get, we'll get into all other kinds of stuff from dreams and visions and, and, the, and the voice of the Father, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Ghost, all these different, we're going to get into them, but we've got to set some foundation. But there is a voice that does not speak. Now let me say that again. 
There is a voice that does not speak. You say, what voice is that? That is the voice of righteousness or right standing with God. You say, now what do you mean by the term a voice that does not speak? First of all, the Word of God is the documentation of righteousness. Of our right standing with God. It is our, listen, it is our declaration of independence. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free from fear, free from doubt, free from unbelief, free from addictions, free from fear. You name it, bless God, you can be free from it. Amen. Now the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He that knew no sin was made sin on our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Nothing you can do. There's no act you can perform. You can go to the darkest country in the world. You can give your life to preach the gospel. But that does not make you righteous. What makes you righteous is getting born again and partaking of the righteous nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, David, King David in Israel, was a unique individual in that he probably had as much or more revelation on the coming dispensation of grace than even a lot of people had in that dispensation of grace. And in Psalms 23, David makes the statement, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. So there is a leadership or an ability of righteousness to lead you without a voice. Are you with me? Now, David, one of his most famous acts was to kill Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to turn there. We'll tell the story a little bit. But that, that event that took place, if you really dig into it, the supernatural element is basically only a little bit in there. But there is an element of what he said in Psalms 23, being led in a path of righteousness for his namesake. First of all, it began with him leaving Saul's Compound, whatever that may have been. He, Saul was not king in Jerusalem at the time. So wherever the palace was, I've got it in my notes somewhere, wherever the palace was, David was there ministering to Saul, playing the harp, singing songs, and driving evil spirits away. Saul got into sin. That's what will happen. Now Saul and all the army of Israel gets up and goes off to fight the Philistines. Well, David just got up and made a choice. Thank God he made a righteous choice. Instead of choosing to just hang around the palace and kind of fat cat around, he made a choice to go back to his father's home. He went back to his father's home and went back to work in the sheep business. Went out and began to take care of his father's sheep. As he was taking care of his father's sheep, his father came to him and said, Here's what I want you to do, David. I want you to go down. I want you to take this food. I want you to go to your brothers and I want you to serve them. So he goes down. Now, now it's an amazing study. As you see, he leaves the sheep with a keeper. See, he's staying righteous. He leaves the carriage with a keeper. He's staying righteous. But as he steps onto that battlefield and he hears the challenge of Goliath and as he begins to rehearse back to the soldiers what Goliath had said and he begins to make his statements of faith, immediately there came an attack against him. Immediately. A brother, his oldest brother Elam. You know, I know the naughtiness of your heart. You're You've come down just to see the battle. Well, immediately they came an attack against him because he's on the path of righteousness. Not only that, the next attack came from Saul. You're not able. You're not able. Amen. 
But thank God he was able to share with Saul some testimonies and victories that he had had. And next thing you know, he's standing in front of Goliath. That's, listen, this is why you need to stay in faith. This is why you need to serve the Lord. This is why you need to read your Bible, pray, come to church. You say, why? Well, one day you're going to be standing in front of your Goliath. <laughs> and you're going, to have to, you're going to have this thought. You mean this is the will of God? <laughs> you mean this is what all this has led up to? This right here? Oh my God! There's a giant sitting there licking his lips wanting to kill me. I guess giants lick their lips, amen? He's wanting to kill me. He's wanting to chop me up. He's wanting to chop up my brothers and my sisters, my, my king, my nation, and make us all a bunch of slaves. But see, he was on what? A path of righteousness for God's namesake. You, you say, what do you mean? He's not had any thus saith the Lord's. There's been no prophet. The prophet Samuel didn't come to him and say, David, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt go down to the battle. Thou shalt pick up six months. No, no. He's just doing what righteousness dictates. The Lord gave me a little phrase years ago. I've used it in teaching faith for years. What righteousness dictates, faith appropriates. What faith appropriates, grace is already supplied. You heard it here first. You say, what do you mean? Righteousness dictates some things. And when you override your righteousness, you begin to literally cause your spirit man to become callous to that which God is saying to you. So many people today are so estranged from God. They love the Lord. They love church. They love the Bible. They love prayer. They love all these things. But they're non-participants. And the reason they're non-participants is they've overrode so many times, not some booming voice from heaven, not some powerful leadership of the Holy Ghost, but just a simple path of righteousness which God puts the believer on. Just walking in God. I've watched it for years. It's amazing how people that tend to have a tendency to follow paths of righteousness, offense can't get them off, anger can't get them off, being upset because this happened or that happened, nothing gets them off that path. They just stay so steady, steady in prayer, steady in the Word, steady in church, steady to put their hand to, steady in servitude, steady in everything they're doing. They just keep on keeping on. They're kind of like the Energizer Bunny. They're on that path of righteousness. Because what righteousness dictates, faith appropriates. Notice David, he ended up, his path of righteousness led him to the battle. Was there opposition? Everywhere. Even the giant. Was there potential danger? Yes. Was there times of discomfort? Yes. Was there awkwardness? Yes. But all of a sudden, faith appropriates what righteous, righteousness dictated. What did righteousness dictate? Righteousness dictated, David, you're fixing to win your greatest victory. This is going to put you on the map. This is going to show everybody you're a man after my own heart. This is going to show everybody there's not a giant in the land that can stand up against a covenant kid. Everybody's fixing to see it. Everybody's fixing to see that God's bigger than giants. So, he needs stones. 
Well, in creation, God made stones. And David walked across that brook and picked up five smooth stones. And he puts those stones in his bag. Now, faith is doing what? Faith is appropriating what righteousness is dictating. That means faith is supplying him. I said faith is supplying him. It supplied him with stones. It supplied him with courage. It provided boldness. And it made him a pretty good aim. Not only that, at the end of the day, righteousness dictated that victory and faith provided the sword. And he cut off Goliath's head and Goliath was never a threat to Israel any longer. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. You know, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma in April of 1984. was in a prayer seminar there. And uh, was on the campus of Rhema. Rhema, uh, Rhema Bible Training Center. And uh, I just, I really wanted to go to school there. Two-year school. I really wanted to go to school there. And uh, I believed I would go. And when I begin to pray, and I begin to sense in my spirit that Rhema was not the place for me to go, I was disappointed. Amen? When I graduated from Lakewood Bible Institute, in the fall of 1985, graduated in the spring of 85, in the fall of 1985, when the Lord spoke to me to go down and join a little church that met in a funeral home and leave the big mega church that was shaking the world, I was disappointed. (laughs) Highly disappointed. But see, there was a path of righteousness. Amen. Amen. On that path of righteousness, faith appropriated what grace had provided. First thing I picked up was Leah. She wasn't at Lakewood. I could have looked all day long at Lakewood. Would have never found her. Amen? But no, there was a path of righteousness for his namesake. On that path of righteousness, there were challenges. There was every kind of opportunity to get offended and mad. There was every kind of opportunity to quit and go another direction. But we just stayed with that path of righteousness. And faith appropriated for us what righteousness had dictated into our lives, faith began to appropriate the substance of that. God bless us with homes, bless us with vehicles, bless us with ministry, bless us with a building, bless us with staff, bless us with open doors. You can always tell when you're on the path of righteousness. Many times on that path, there is opposition, there is disappointment. Things don't happen the way you think they're going to happen. But at the end of the day, something supernatural happens. And it's divine. And it's blessed of the Lord. Uh, When God spoke to us about starting Island Church, I was disappointed. (laughs) I was. I was disappointed. I didn't want to start a church. I didn't want to be a pastor. I was disappointed. I said, I don't want to do that. But I knew it was the path of righteousness. Amen? Amen? Now, it is the voice that does not speak. 
in all of that, I can give you example after example after example. How? How? The still small voice, the, uh, the, the spirit bore witness with my spirit, uh, the voice of the Father, uh, the voice of the Word, the leadership of the Holy Ghost, dreams. Uh, I, I, I don't have big vision. Every once in a while I have a little mini vision. Mini visions, different things like that, angels, all kinds. I can talk about all kinds of communication. But the bedrock of the foundation of all of that communication is the path of righteousness. That's why the enemy will do everything he can do to get you off that path. He'll do everything he can do to keep you from following that path of righteousness. You ever studied when Psalms 23 was written? Psalms 23 was written. Uh, as you study your Bible, you get into the book of 1 Samuel. Then when you get into 2 Samuel, it talks about David's reign. And, and he had a son named Absalom. And Absalom, you know, uh, there was all, you think you had family problems. They had some family problems. I'm telling you, they were serious. I mean, they had some serious family problems. And Absalom got offended. And anyway, he, he took some advice from some people who didn't like David. And he gathered a bunch of people and, and he run his dad out of the city. And as they're leaving the city, they're walking through the Kidron Valley. And as they're walking through the Kidron Valley, one of Saul's old servants rises up and starts spitting and cussing at him, throwing rocks at him. Now, David is running because it seems like he may lose the kingdom and he might lose his life. And there's opposition all around him. And all kinds of turmoil is going on. And in the midst of that journey, he writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what He was doing. That's what He was doing. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Didn't say He wouldn't feel no evil. He said He wouldn't fear no evil. So you don't have to feel, fear what you feel. Amen. So he writes that psalm showing us some almost 3,200 years later that your path of righteousness many times will lead you into places in which there's great resistance against you. But if you'll stay on the path, I said if you'll stay on the path, then that path will bring you to a place of blessing. I mean, the way everything worked out, David ended up back in Jerusalem, back on his throne. And although many things disappointed him in what went on, that path of righteousness still led him to a place of restoration. Amen? Amen. Now it starts real simple. I'll close with this. This will help you. It starts real simple. It's not complicated. I think we overcomplicate so much of the simplicity of the Word of God that it makes it difficult for us. And God doesn't want it to be difficult for us. There is a life and lifestyle God has chosen for you. Now let me say that again. There is a life and lifestyle God has chosen for you. And it is your choice of how far you want to go into that life and lifestyle. The dilemma of that is, is that if you make choices that keep you out of the fullness of that life and lifestyle, what you are doing, well, it just won't work. You'll get frustrated. You'll, 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 you'll think, well, man, this is just a bunch of pie in the sky. 
Those guys talk about prosperity. I'm not prosperous. They talk about healing. I'm not healed. They talk about joy. I ain't got no joy. Come on. Well, here's the deal. It may be because you're only halfway up that path. And it's down at the end of that path that God has joy, prosperity, healing, and blessing. I've noticed that's where it is. You say, well, you're just talking about being some kind of sold-out fanatic for God. Exactly! Simple paths of righteousness. Everyone, everyone that comes to church here on Sundays, when we have, you know, two or three people, four or five people, six or seven people standing up here, in the, we tell them three things. You know why I tell them those three things? Those three things are the starting blocks. You ever seen starting blocks in a track meet? Those are the starting blocks that will get you down the path of righteousness. Number one, the Word of God. The Word of God is God speaking to you. The Word of God is God speaking to me. The Word of God is God speaking to us. You say, I ain't got time for my Bible. I ain't got time to read the Word of God. I just don't have time for it. Then you don't have time for the path of righteousness. Amen? Secondly, there's prayer. And listen, let me just say this. Because prayer is such a unique... What can I call it, Lord? It is such a unique discipline in our lives. And it is probably of all of the disciplines, the Word, prayer, church, all the, it is probably the discipline which the enemy really fights the hardest because prayer is communication with God. And you need a rock-solid prayer life. Now let me say that again. You need a rock-solid prayer. That means every day you pray. That means you come to prayer. People say, well, you know, Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock, come prayer. I mean, you know, I do all I can do to get here at 7.30. I'm just, I'm not trying to tell you to do it or not do it. What is the word to you tonight? Is it doctrine? Is it reproof? Is it correction? Or is it instruction in righteousness? I made a decision 35 years ago to be in every prayer meeting, to be in every service, to read my Bible every day, to pray every day, to do everything the Word... Because if the Word of God, the righteous Word of God, dictates it, then my faith will appropriate it. And if my faith will appropriate it, I will be able to realize that grace has already provided it and I'm just stepping down that path of righteousness to receive it. There are some things you'll never get from God because they are what I call location blessings. That means you're down the path of righteousness in your life till you get to a point in which God says, I have aimed a blessing for you and when you get there your blessing will come together with you. Prayer. The Word of God, prayer. Church. A lot of people just don't value church anymore. They just don't. We've got the statistics on how few people go. You know, people are afraid to gather in crowds. I've got a book in my office about church security, things go on, and how all these shootings that we've had and these things that go on in theaters and churches. Did you know there's been 1,500 active shooter situations in churches? Just in churches. People are afraid. They're fearful. 
People don't like the routine of church because it interrupts their routine. Every Sunday when I pray, I'll take off from my house. I've got a little way I go that I pray. I'll pray in the Spirit, and then I'll come to the church and I'll pray. But every Sunday when I go, I pass by these ball fields, and I see all these families. Now, I, don't, I like baseball as much as anybody else. And it's not wrong to play baseball. But it's, if that's all you do on Sunday morning, all summer long, then you get into the fall and run into some tragedy in life and wonder why it's so hard to get an answer from God. It just may be that you're not down that path of righteousness as far as you need to be to get the blessing you need to be. Get the blessing that you need. Amen? A lot of people don't realize that. So I made a decision a long time ago. I'll, be in, I'll, never, I'll never forget. I flew into to Hobby. I was coming from Austin from a camp meeting I was preaching in on a Wednesday back when Leah still owned her shop. And so I uh, came into church. I, we were attending Abundant Life. And uh, during the worship service, I always sat up next to, to the pastor. I, I, I told the pastor, I said, you know, I could just lay on the floor and just breathe in the anointing. And that'd be fine. So he looks at me and says, well, why don't you preach? I'm like, I preached on Psalms 23. And they sold more, back then it was cassettes, they sold more cassettes of that message than any message I ever preached in that pulpit. I think it was 280-something cassette tapes they sold of that message. Because it was on that path of righteousness when I got off that airplane, not to go home because I was tired because I'd been preaching since Sunday morning, but to go to church that night and to preach on Psalms 23, a revelation from the Word of God that blessed so many people that they bought 280 cassette tapes. Amen? See, many times we let physical things hinder us from proceeding down that path. Being tired, or we let soulish things, being offended, being upset, or we let the opposition of the adversary. Now let me just say this. Oh man, right on time. The loudest voice you will hear in your obedience on the path of righteousness when you are straining to hear God's voice in your spirit. You are straining to hear something in your heart that will cause you to be refreshed or encouraged in your walk of faith. The loudest voice you will hear many times will be the voice of your adversary telling you you've made a mistake. We talked about that last week. About how Jesus went into the wilderness. That was his path of righteousness. He was led of the Spirit to go into the wilderness to fast 40 days and 40 nights to prepare to operate in that anointing that came on him when he was baptized in the Jordan River. That was what it was. It was a preparation time. It wasn't a time for him to be tormented by the devil. God has no times for you scheduled to be tormented by the devil. Somebody should have got real happy about that. But he will show up. And when did he show, when did he show up in Jesus' life? After 40 days and 40 nights in his place of weakness. So your greatest temptations will be to give up, to quit, to say, we miss God, to say all these kind of things. Your greatest temptations will always be when you're weak. When you hadn't been praying, hadn't been coming to church, hadn't been in the Word of God, he knows you're vulnerable. He's thinking, you know, I got them right where I want them. 
And let me say something about your adversary. He knows how to sound real spiritual. He can be a lot more spiritual than you can be. And he can say things to your mind in such a way, and that's how you can always tell it's the adversary, because it's coming to your mind, coming to your mind, coming to your mind. Thought after thought after thought after thought. God's forsaken you. You've missed God. You're not going to get what you're believing God for. This isn't going to happen. That's not going to happen. You're foolish. Giving your money to that church. What do you think you're doing? Wasting your time. You could be doing this. You could, I mean, he will just, and as long as you're willing to allow that to happen without addressing it with the authority that you have and stopping that, then he will increase it till he finally shoves a thought in your mind that you cannot resist. That's exactly what it says about Judas Iscariot. Satan, oh, it took him three years to get him into a place, and the Greek actually says this, in which Satan imparted into his mind an irresistible thought. That means he couldn't resist it. He got up and denied Jesus. Sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Went out and hang him, hanged himself. Disemboweled on the ground. Boy, that's a great way to end your life. Amen? Well, the enemy does the same thing. There's people all over this area. People all over this nation and people all over this world that at one time in their life, they loved God. They were on fire for God. They were going to a church somewhere. They were working in a church somewhere. But they, on that path of righteousness, they begin to compromise some things. As the Word was taught, maybe all they wanted was doctrine. They didn't want any reproof. They didn't want any correction. They didn't want to be able to make the turn that would bring them into the blessing of God. So on that path of righteousness, they stopped. Notice Psalms 23 again. Even though when you go, what? Through the valley of the shadow. That means your path of righteousness may take you through. That means there's continual movement on that path of righteousness. Continue. You keep moving. You keep moving. You keep moving. The devil tries to knock you down. You just keep moving. You just keep moving. You keep reading your Bible. Keep coming to prayer. Keep moving. Keep moving. I was driving in my truck the other day, and a, and a particular message came on. I bet I've heard that message 500 times if I've heard it once. And I almost reached up and I got a little button I can push. Actually, a little thing I slide and I can slide it forward and the next message will come on. But I didn't do it. I thought, no, I'm going to listen to it. And sure enough, about three quarters of the way into that message, I heard something I never heard before. I went, oh my goodness. Thank God I didn't do that. Amen. Amen. And it corrected me. It brought some correction into my life. I thought, thank God I didn't turn that off. It can be that simple. So stick with the basics. Read your Bible. Everybody say, read your Bible. Pray. Everybody say, pray. Come to church. Everybody say, come to church. Those three things will keep you on a path of righteousness. And they will help you get to the place. And there may be times in which on that path of righteousness, it seems like you're not making any headway. But I guarantee you, if you will stick with it, you will be able to look back over a few weeks, few months, and few years period of time and say, look how far I've come. Amen. Devil's trying to tell me I didn't go anywhere. Look how far I've come. And I guarantee you when you begin to see how far you've come in the things of God and how God has blessed your life because you didn't quit, because you didn't give up, because you didn't fall out like others did, you didn't follow their pattern, which is the pattern of your adversary, you will see blessings that you don't even, right now, your mind can't even conceive of them. Amen. Amen? These days, the last of the last days, 
Paul wrote to Timothy, said perilous times will come. And literally what he was talking about was the times in which men and women on the earth would be more yielded to their soul and their flesh than their spirits. And look at the earth today, church. I mean, we don't get any news in America anymore because of all the crazy political stuff. I wish someone would show and tell us the news. But we travel into Europe and Asia and different places. You watch the news over there. There's all kinds of crazy things going on all over this world. Plus, we have a lot of international friends. Listen, this world is convulsing. This world is literally in the birth pains of a new dispensation fixing to come. Jesus is going to come back. This world's going to be set in order. There's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign. The devil's going to be put under our feet. I guarantee you we're going to see blessing and glory like we've never seen before. But in the midst of that, or in the meantime, this thing has to come to a conclusion, and there has to be a rebirthing of that which God says. This is all in the sovereignty of God. And we're alive, we're alive in that day and hour. I don't want to miss it. I want to be on the right side to be able to see experience, and participate. Did you get that? See, experience. People say, you like to go to baseball games? No. You know why? They don't let me play. I don't like to go to football games. They don't let me play. I like to participate. Amen? I'm a participator, not a spectator. I'm not a good spectator. But in the second inning, I'm going to look for the peanuts. <laughs> I went wandering where we were at a basketball game. I went wandering one time and bought a $160 shirt. I still ain't wore that thing. <laughs> so I quit wandering, amen. Cost me $168. Wandered off the path of righteousness. It'll cost you, amen. So there is a voice that does not speak. I've called it for years the literal common sense of faith. The common sense of your faith walk. Just the, you don't do it because of some great burning conviction in your spirit. You don't do it because God's speaking some booming revelation. You just do it because you see it in the Word. And as you see it in the Word, you adapt it as your life. This is my life. This is what I do now. This is my life. This is how I act. I read the Word. I read the Word. I pray. I'm a part of a fellowship, a move of God that's doing everything it can do to evangelize its area and do its part to reach the world with the gospel. And then all the other things of your life, the details that you need, it's amazing how quickly they're revealed and come online when you're on that path of righteousness. And every one of you in here that's born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And God's got a great path for you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You love the Lord tonight? Amen. Praise God. Well, stand on your feet. Lord, we thank you this evening for the word of the Lord, for that which you speak and that which you say. We thank you, Father, for the path of righteousness that we're on as a church, as families, as individuals, as ministries, in every area and in every way. Father, as we leave tonight, Lord, we know there are many out on vacation this time of the year. Many travel, go different places. But Father, we include our entire congregation in that the declaration of your provision of protection and safety from Psalms 91 
is a reality in our life. No evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. A thousand could fall at our side, 10,000 at our right hand. Only with our eyes will we behold and see the reward of the wicked. So Father, in our travels, in the righteous labor of our hands, we declare your divine protection. Lord, we thank you for doors of utterance to boldly proclaim your gospel. We thank you, Father, in people who we come across, their lives, we can be an answer to their prayer, a problem to the adversary in their lives, a miracle for them in Jesus' name. We leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you. We leave tonight walking in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.